We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And action! Hello and welcome to episode 382 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Filmmaking. From indie film to studio films and... Everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... Royally F them up. In our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm Dominic Noir. And between us, we are director, writer and producers. And we've made various feature films over our time. How are you all doing? I hope you're good. Yeah. I hope you've had a great, great blooming week. Today, we have another amazing guest. You've probably seen the posters on all the buses around town at the moment. Hopefully around your town. We have director and writer Sean Durkin. Sean Durkin. Here to talk about his movie, The Iron Claw. Yeah, Dom sat down and had a chat with him. How was that, Dom? I mean, that was pretty exciting, really. Yeah, we were, good. Yeah, we were <laughs> in the Soho Hotel, both yeah. talking about our, uh, <laughs> our back, back problems. <laughs> oh, really? Is that how it started? A couple of old men. <laughs> but back in the habit. Yeah, nice. It was great. I mean, it was it's such um, such a good film. It, it, it reminded me of... It's, it's like what the wrestler did for wrestling, but... But, but this does it for... This wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> for a different era. <laughs> <laughs> Great, good. Good, we started well. No, it, it's, it's an incredible story. When I found out about the real story, like, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, how, how is this even possible? Pretty heart-wrenching as well. What is the real story? Well, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, well, I, I I'm, assume, I'm assuming they've, they've seen the film. The, the, the true story is very similar to the film. I mean, obviously, there's creative licenses taken, but it's it's the story of a, a father that's had dreams of being a wrestling champion and is very overbearing on his, his sons, uh, which leads to various tragedies and challenges and triumphs as they try to get to the top of the wrestling ladder set in the 1980s this is the iron claw it does star hollywood heartthrob zach efron zach efron harris uh, british heartthrob harris dickinson chef superstar jeremy allen white yes indeed uh, from the bear himself and then lily james british wonder that she is uh, also mm. pops up as well it's an amazing cast but it's zach efron's show right by all accounts zach efron is incredible in this movie yeah he is well i mean he, yeah he, he it is his show but it's 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 also an ensemble i mean it's he's he's the lead obviously mm-hmm. um but there are some amazing performances from you know the, the whole family and the, the dad's incredible as well colt Right. So, what do you talk about on the on this episode that our audience will learn? Challenging the misconceptions around wrestling, especially whether it's fake. Uh, how to adapt to true story and meeting real life wrestlers. Going through the development process with Tessa Ross. She was head of Channel Four. Uh, she ran Film Four and Film Four Productions, Royal National Theatre, and she's produced movies like Billy Elliot, Last King of Scotland, This Is England, etc., etc. Slumdog. This goes on. Hopefully, we'll get on the pod at some point. On and on and on. Making an important decision of cutting a character out. Getting a kickstart to your career through a major festival success. Cans and the Sundance Labs 
And lastly, the importance of collaborating with his own Brat Pack. Uh, so Sean Durkin, um, he wrote this as well. Um, by the way, this was produced by Juliet Howell, Angus Lamont, as well as Tessa Ross and Darren Schlesinger. Uh, cinematographer was Matthias Erdely, and it was edited by Matthew Hanam. Um, so Sean, he came from making short films. Um, he did a bit of cinematography, made quite a few films uh, as director of photography and as director. And then he stepped into exec producer mode before he directed Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene in 2011, which he directed and wrote, uh, which was his breakout breakout performance, which starred Elizabeth Olsen mm. uh, and Hugh Tansey as well in there, as well as John Hawkes. We had, a, we had a few. We had a little discussion after the uh, the podcast about having a similar sort of trajectory, minus the Sundance Lads and the Canon. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, because because I, I started in cinematography as well, and then just decided that we both sort of agreed that we were, we we got to a certain level of you know that's it. We're, we're not going to be like amazing cinematographers, but could be <laughs> well, amazing directors. Yes, is it? Well, that's it. Sometimes you realise there's people who are better than you in a certain yes. area of this business, and actually that's okay. It's okay to go. They're better and. I don't need to do that role any. I can do this one, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, absolutely. He's also then gone on to exec produce a load of other movies, including Piercing and Christine, before he directed The Nest, which he also wrote and produced, which starred Jude Law. Should be a nest egg for his mental life. Indeed. <laughs> he has now produced and written and directed The Iron Claw, which is out now in cinemas. So do yes. And give it. a little shout-out to... Uh, podcast friend Johnny Grant and River uh, just if anyone's wondering reference later on in the episode as extreme wrestling enthusiasts I'm super excited by that Johnny Grant if you don't know if you haven't listened to his podcast for I don't know maybe two weeks I've probably referenced it then we wrote the dare together uh, my debut movie and his yeah there you go yeah and after Merlin that's coming as well good lad really is up north does shouty music all kinds of stuff yeah and he loves wrestling yeah, he's written a wrestling movie as well. He's written one. Hopefully we'll get to make that at some point soon. Um, but uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for those of you who listened to last week's uh, Uber guest, Matthew Vaughan, uh, talking about Argyle and his career, basically, how he made Lockstock, how he raised the money. If you haven't listened to that, do go listen to it after you've listened to this. It's a better. It's a real goodie. And then uh, Dana Kipper as well. The Opposite Ends, uh, someone who's just gone out there and made something on very little money, mm. whatever money you could scrape together, you know, directed it, wrote it, produced it, starred in it, released it, did the marketing, everything. And you compare that with Matthew Vaughan, it's quite incredible, the difference between the two. But it's all there for you to learn and go be better filmmakers or filmmakers yourself. So this is Dom Lamar chatting to uh, director, producer and writer Sean Durking, talking all about the Iron Claw. Dom, shall they enjoy this one? Yes, they should wrap their Iron Claws around it and have a claw sometime. Amazing. Uh, there we go. Right. Enjoy. Grab a, grab a, grab a coffee. Grab a mic. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling? Jet, jet lag's kicking in. <laughs> yeah. When did you get over? Just uh, last night. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 How, how's all the the buzz about the the release there? Must be excited. Yeah, really good. It's done really well in the US. Um, yeah, it's it's been really overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's you know when it's when it's real life events, there's an extra. I imagine there's an extra pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it must be a huge reward because, and also because wrestling has such a massive and incredibly dedicated, passionate fan base. Uh, you know, that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, it's the kind of 
the thing where you know if you don't get it right, you're going to get torn apart in seconds, you know? So the wrestling has to be right first and foremost, and then, um, you know, you can build from there. Yeah, sure. So, so, so how did the, how did the project sort of first, first come to you? Well, I was thinking, you know, it, it really just came to me one day. (laughs) I was, I was sitting around and I was like, what about the Von Erich family? Yeah. Um, and I hadn't thought about them in a while. I guess I had always wanted to make something in sports. Um, and I had loved wrestling in particular as a kid. Yeah. And I thought about them in the sense that, you know, there was this curse that hung over them, which is interesting to me in a mythical sense. Mm. You know, I'm always interested in like a tinge of genre, you know, in, in, in my work. And, um, you know, a, as a complicated family dealing with repression and, um, you know, uh, not looking at their own pain and trauma. Uh, It just felt like a really rich territory um, and sort of, you know, these questions of masculinity, these sort of false Mm. molds of masculinity that these boys were were forced into. It was something that I really... Unhealthy molds, I guess. Pardon? Very unhealthy molds. Very unhealthy molds. Yeah. and how devastating, you know, trying to be, trying to fit into those fake molds of masculinity are, uh, and, and and so it just had all of the, the things that I was interested in, or I am interested in, and mm. um, so I, sort of around that time, Tessa Ross was starting her company, and we we met um actually right down the street here uh and she said what are you interested in what do you want to do and i was like oh i was just thinking about this family but um you know no one's ever going to want to make that <laughs> right, <laughs> and yeah, she yeah. was very much like no we have to do it we have to try yeah. So she started to support um that and and i started to write it and develop it with her and, and she's got a big development background of course yeah yeah and so yeah we started working on it and i and i had had a researcher i collaborate with and we started, you know, get, went deep into research. There was a lot out there of Kevin speaking, like hours of documentary footage mm. of him talking, and he's given a lot of very candid interviews. Um, so there was a lot to, to draw from. And um, also a lot of nonsense in the wrestling world, a lot of, you know, yeah. gossip. And, and, I, and just I, I got a sense of what was real and what wasn't mm. and, try, and tried to build this really solid base and and what I was looking at was this incredible, complex, overwhelming, giant Greek tragedy. Yeah, I mean it is. It's incredibly sad, and it's it's almost like too much to. I mean, it's it's, it's astonishing that any one family can go through that much. Um, but I guess you know what you mentioned earlier about the the sort of this these unattainable, unattainable sort of masculinity uh, goals definitely formed like a very important part of that um and and, you know their struggles with with mental health yeah absolutely i mean yeah the the curse is just the real curse is just this no these notions of masculinity that they had to fit into yeah that's the curse so so what was the process once you got all the documentary materials you start absorbing uh, all of that that kind of thing um where where do you where for you does the story start when you're sort of putting this uh well 
you know, the treatments, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it started where the film starts. I, I wrote the first page of it and never changed it. Oh, okay. This, yeah. uh, this intro with Fritz pummeling his opponent, sort of raising the iron claw to a, you know, big stadium full of booze and, you know, and then showing him as sort of a younger dreamer mm. focused on, you know, just overcoming his own tragedy uh, and wanting to build this safe life for his kids. Because um, I'm just really interested in the complexities of that, of of a parent who starts off with this blank slate of what they're going to get right for their child that they mm. didn't have for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how they can be so focused on providing that that all the blind spots get, you know, they miss all their blind spots because they're so focused on this this idea yeah. of, you know, for Fritz, it's the more, um, you know, the more powerful we are as a family, the richer we are, the more successful, mm. the more isolated in this, you know, ranch, like no one can touch us, nothing can hurt us. Yeah, I, sp- I suppose it is. I mean, I like, th- I like that about the film is that you you really get straight into the, you know, the core of, the, the seed of, of what causes it, which is this, you know, this, this desperation for fame and, and his own sort of unresolved dreams. And I, I think, think that's a really interesting sort of concept in, in general for the, for um, the, you know, the film is, is this idea of unrealized dreams and what we project onto our, onto our children. Um, so, so how did the, how did the, the rest of the, the writing process go? I mean, do you, do you do like beat sheets? Do you kind of map out scenes? Um, do you just sort of inhabit your mind and, and just start writing? Um, yeah, so, so it starts with the research and like timelines, a lot of timelines of, of what's happened and then Mm. kind of picking out the stories and then probably throughout that, like I just start writing beats and I sort of keep in a notebook, like, okay, what are 150 moments? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I have like, you know, like the original notebook of like 150 or 175 moments that I've read about from them that could make up the film and kind of start to then at some point we'll transfer those to note cards and sort of start to give them some shape. Hmm. Uh, and usually what I have in the first pass is like, you know, something that's way too big to be a film or too scattered, too many things, too many ideas. Um and then it's like pulling back and pulling back to get to the to the core idea, which ultimately here became identifying Kevin's survival as the core, yes. and Kevin as the core. And uh, what was what was Tessa's kind of involvement as you're as you're going through this? Was it wait till the first draft after these kind of initial uh, instructions, and then how was maybe her guidance at that point? Because it's it's always interesting for you know how filmmakers how the development process works. For yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty pretty typical. We just would you know maybe have some conversations about it along the way. Um, but, but, but often just, you know, I, I like to show something written and then talk about what's on the page, you know, just keep it, keep it simple, focus on what's in front of us. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and what about the family themselves? Like how, how did they sort of factor in or not factor into the, the whole process? Well, I decided um, because of how much information there was, I had the, you know, privilege of sort of, enough information to do it on my own without getting them involved. Um, I had had a previous project where I tried to make a film about Janis Joplin and met a lot of people close to her Mm. and um, sort of got too close to them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they all had their own experiences of Janice and they were very individual to, to them. Like she was a different person to each of them. So that when we sent the script, they all felt they were all upset because we hadn't fully made their version of the story. Yeah, sure. But we were able to sort of actually see it from all points of view. And so that experience was great because it allowed me to say, like keeping distance and keeping an outside point of view is oftentimes more accurate than when you're in it. Yeah. Or accurate is not the right word, but can often be use- more useful. Yeah. Um, and also, I didn't want the, you know, I, I, you know, when I get into it on a subject and I, you know, I, I get very emotionally invested. And yeah. I was already emotionally invested making this film because I love this family. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to meet Kevin and love him more, which is what happened eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Because, you know, I knew, you know, like, you know, I cut out one of the brothers who died and... Mm. Uh, it was the, the situation where, uh, you know, he was in the script. The Chris was one of the brothers that that wasn't yeah. depicted. He he was in the script for five years, mm. and it took me a year after realizing it wasn't quite working to cut him out. And it was a huge emotional process for me. And I, mm. and if I had to factor in Kevin into that conversation, it would have been even harder. Yeah, might have stopped me from doing it. When in the end, when I told Kevin, he didn't even. Flinch. He was like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, you can't." He, you know, he was relieved that it wasn't all about suicide, and yeah, you know. So, um, it was good to have that distance. But then, once I knew the film I was making, I could stand behind the decisions. I reached out to him. We started talking, yeah. and I was able to explain sort of what my approach was, what we were focused on, yeah, why. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think it feels like a very balanced and and actually pretty sympathetic film to them. I mean, I mean the father is playing in a sense the role of the villain but then you've also kind of justified it uh, you know with his his background and you know where he comes from and and that does provide a sort of a level of sympathy but you have to you have to have these balances to to feel more sympathy to the the children and and yeah. you know what, what happened to them um so so after you and tessa had sort of got to the stage of um do you want a glass you want after you and Tess had got to the stage of um, the script being in a place where you were you were happy, what were the next steps in terms of getting it made? Um, I don't know if it's ever that sort of simple. Simple. It's not. It's not. <laughs> but I just mean like I don't even remember if there was a moment where it even felt that way. Okay. You know, I think it was like was it lots of different things working simultaneously? Yeah, like you know. You, he kind of put out feelers, mm-hmm. you know, earlier, maybe even before sending the script out. He kind of just say to certain places that might make the film, this is what's happening. You kind of, you know, maybe you show the script to a couple of people. I can't really remember exactly how it went, but it was always a little bit of like dipping your toe in the water to try and see. Um, what the early interest might be yeah because you've also got a producer background as well so yeah you, so you understand these these things that, you know even if you're not going to sign up with a distributor or a sales agent it, it's good to put yourself on the radar yeah absolutely and you know get a sense of what the interest is and um what the hesitations are and mm. um but things changed a lot from 2015 to 2000 and 
2021 2021 wow. yeah so so what 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 was i mean what went wrong in that i i, I say go wrong it, it takes a huge amount of time to make films and, and it's not there's nothing it, there's so much effort put into it and so many things outside your control but what what took you know what happened in the in those times that you were trying that maybe wasn't working and what yeah i think well i think the first i think the there was a longer version of the script with more detailed tragedy mm-hmm. that was not necessarily not just working because it was there was two more you know another brother who died you know the, it, yeah. not just the simple as that it just wasn't working as a film i don't think mm. and so i made some really big cuts to make it work as a more focused film mm. um and i think that you know and and i also think the popularity of wrestling changed you know wrestling was not in its best time around then and it's sort of entering into back into like a golden era again yeah um you know it's really been on the rise the last couple of years in particular i think and so i think and especially on the amateur level i mean I, you know i know people that are going to you know amateur sort of wrestling events in the uk and like yeah. sort of northern cities and, really um yeah I, I, you know a guy we work with um he absolutely loves wrestling but it's 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 on the amateur level as well as the um you know the pro- professional level and i haven't ever seen that in england at least yeah yeah no it's it's true and it's there is really good wrestling on the amateur level it's almost like getting back to some smaller local wrestling game, which is what it was back in the day of this of this movie and um you know getting away from the sort of the extreme glitziness of WWE now you yeah. know it's um so that's interesting mm. I, and i think so i think the acceptance of, of wrestling it felt less like this weird thing to do and much more you know the the wider appeal of it was clearer i think um the pandemic obviously delayed the film because, you know, yeah. at that point we didn't know if or how we'd be shooting with crowds ever again, you know? Yeah. And so it was this, there were, there were many things like that, but, um, you know, it ultimately came together. I, I think, and I think this is true. And if you look back at, you know, challenging great movies that get made, get made because, someone in the right position believes in it yeah and it's and it really comes down to that and Mm. i really think like um you know rose garnett who was at bbc and moved over to a24 and sort of um i think sort of signaled to a24 like this you know about the movie and it was really like noah sacco at a24 read the script and he was like i'm in let's Mm. do it and it was just He saw it in a way that even I didn't see it. I think he could recognize its potential. And I think, honestly, I think he was the only person. I don't think anybody else. And I think that is what happens with movies. It's just one person in the right place at the right time who sees the potential and sees how it can work. Yeah. It's it's difficult to find people that you know have your taste or or understand what the end result is as well especially if you've been inhabiting the world for a, a very long time in your own mind and you know all the the sub details and the the nuances uh, sometimes it's it's difficult to get that out um, you know to someone else yeah um so so at what point was that was that after the covid that this sort of interchange happened with a24 yeah. yeah yeah it was um i was shooting dead ringer so it was yeah summer of 21 so who are you kind of approach? Were you trying to go after money, finance, or cast in that kind of that period before COVID hit? Um, like mostly, 
Yeah, I we never even it was it also we started like I said dipping our toe in the water around the time like just as the pandemic was setting in. So it was it was oh, also okay. about to, it was like right before that. So okay, yeah. It also so, so you've gone through some serious development to really get the script into an amazing place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I made the I, you know and I made the nest in there too. So it was like a year and a half of making the nest where I wasn't even working on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it, was it always positioned in your mind as like an award season type film? Cause it, no, I mean, I think about it. now, now when you, now when you see it, like it, it immediately feels like a sort of, you know, like the wrestler or, yeah. you know, one of those other like really, um, unique kind of interesting dramas. Um, yeah. But I, I suppose when you're making it, you're, you have a different version of what you're putting together. Uh, no, I mean, I definitely saw it that way. I definitely think of it as a, as an interesting drama. I mean, yeah. um, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I don't think of it, you know, when, when I'm making, I don't think of it in terms of award season or anything like that, because you're just making the best version and you're thinking about, yeah, but, yeah. um, yeah, didn't really think beyond that. Good. Yeah. Um, so, so what was what, at what point did the the casting sort of conversations happen, and and how did they begin? Were they? I mean, you know, Zach Zach Efron's a highly underrated actor. Yeah, uh, I've always thought he's a he's a really good drama actor. Was was he always in mind? Like, mm. did, you know, was, uh, was that part yeah. of you, part of A twenty four? I didn't. Um, I didn't have anyone in mind, um, but we had a. You know, my casting director and I had a short list mm. and he's been, you know, on top of that for a long time. He, I, I was a big fan of his and I've always wondered, and there's actually not, not a ton of actors who are in their thirties who can, you know, support, a, you know, can be the lead and support a budget, um, you know, what, of what we were looking to make. Mm. And do all the emotional stuff as well. Yeah, and I mean, never mind that. And then, but that's just on its own. And never mind someone who can also transform physically and be a wrestler. Yeah. So um, it seems obvious now, but it's all yeah, yeah, totally. But so, so that was very much like he wasn't involved. A twenty four came on, and we had conversations about you know, like this is our budget, these are our cast ideas, like, and and you have to put together the pieces that work, right? You have to mm. say like, okay, if we're gonna get to this number, this is we you know this is the pressure we have to cast, you know, that's just a fact of it. And so, you know, that was definitely a, a part of the conversation. Um, so, so was he, was he the first yeah. piece? Yeah. He's the, okay. he's the basis of it. Yeah. And then obviously after, after that is pretty more, more, much more straightforward yeah. to cast everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so who else had sort of come into the mix? Had you seen the bear or is your casting director seen the bear with that? Uh, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy I've involved. known Jeremy since he was 15 oh wow that's yeah amazing. we worked together on a film called After School which was the first film that I produced okay yeah it's the yeah. first film my production company at the time made yeah um, and so we've known each other forever and I used to work in casting and mm. actually Jeremy used to work in casting at the same office after me he sort of like <laughs> went in and did the, did the job after yeah. after I had left uh, similar kind of thing we were casting assistants so yeah we've known each other a long time and my casting director Susan Shotmaker is who mm. we were, used to work for. So that's amazing. Yeah. So um, we sort of come from the same film family. Um, yeah. And so I've always wanted to to work with him, but it was obviously great timing with the bear coming out where yeah. you know, he was able to. 
yeah to step into that role and, and, and it's such a it's, it, you know it's, it's the first sort of major film i've seen him in since the best so it's and it's it's such a different role and again it, it sort of fits uh, fantastically so had what about the rest of the cast was anyone else like lily james on your radar yeah um i hadn't met lily but we had communicated sort of through agents and things for a couple of years about working together and so yeah i approached her and i was like you know it's not the lead role but it's a really good part would you consider it and um so yeah that was that was really great and then harris i'd i'd um loved harris and beach rats and i i'm as someone who grew up between here and new york i'm like really fixated on accents and i'm really critical of accents right. and when i saw beach rats i thought oh wow they found this kid from brooklyn he's not an actor so to find out harris is from here is really uh really incredible and so i've just been a fan of his so reached out to him um more tierney has been like my favorite actor since you know the days of er you know yeah. just and then holt holt was probably the first person i actually concretely thought of like i saw mindhunter mm. he wasn't the first person we cast because we had to yeah. cast kevin because the center of the film but holt was the first one i saw mindhunter i was like that's fritz right there and so yeah. um yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's an incredible, he's an incredible role in, in that film, and he's got such a, a strong presence as well. And again, it's it's a you know, it's the first thing I've seen him in. I, I know he's done other stuff, but it's the first thing I've seen him in since since Mindhunter, and it's it's a it's a fantastic role. Um, so did things move fairly quickly after the sort of the casting process? Yeah, I mean, once once A twenty four was on, um, we it was about a year until mm. we were shooting. Okay, and what's what's your kind of process for um, cinematography, um, set design? Uh, you know these kind of heads of departments, and do you, do you like to work with the same people over and over again? Do you like to mix it up a little bit? Yeah, um, so I've worked with uh, Matthias Sherday and James Price, my cinematographer um, and production designer. We did the nest together. Yeah. Uh we worked on a show here called Southcliff together. James was the art director on that, but I met him there and then I asked him to design the nest. Um and we just have a very um incredible good, good shorthand. Yeah, relationship and um so yeah, we just wanted to keep that going here. So there there was not really a question about it. Um Yeah, so we just started do you like? Is it, is it mood boards? Is that your main? So let's talk about production design first. Sure. Is it, is it like mood boards, visuals? Is it um, how do you, how does that work? Um, I mean, just starts with general conversations based on the script. Um, you know, with in this scenario, uh, is very different to the nest because in this scenario, there's so much to go on. There's you know all this video footage of the sportatorium. Mm. We knew we were going to have to build the sportatorium. There was the ranch, you know, trying to find that. So so that was more going off of, not necessarily to get, you know, the exact ranch where the Von Erichs live. That didn't, that didn't matter. But to make sure we were shooting in a place that felt like mm. North Texas. Yeah. You know, to make sure that we were depicting this part of Texas accurately because we couldn't shoot there. There's no tax credit in Texas, so we couldn't shoot there. Um. So it became hard to find and make it feel believable, but we just spent a lot of time, you know, identifying the sort of key um, 
key elements to make it feel like it's really there, it's really the time, and with enough scale, with limited resources. And then James takes that and then sort of comes back very, uh, yeah, with a lot of, of sort of, yeah, like I said, like mood boards and visual references and very, very, a combination of very practical approach with very um, clear, like, artistic vision as well. And, and how much of a consideration is there in terms of... Um, your interpretation based on what you've seen, you know, versus the exact dimensions of, you know, a favorite chair or table or, you know, the house that they had. Uh, where, where do you sort of fit yourself onto that scale with those those production design sort of conversations? Um, I feel that, like, once we're on the same page, like, my department heads go and do their thing. Mm. And then it's a matter of... You know, approving and tweaking. Yeah, yeah, cool. But uh, but it, that's that's when you know when it's all working and and everyone's on the same page. Which we you know, and the part of the three of us working together is that we're so on the same page. And yeah, um, that really helps because if you're if you're running in two different directions, it can be it can be a challenge if you if you just can't get someone to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, or also someone being able to you know, explain what they're thinking, a designer being able to show what they're thinking, because a lot of people can see things really clearly in their heads and know what they want it to be, but can't necessarily articulate precisely what that's going to be, you know? And so even that is, is a real challenge sometimes, but but not, you know, uh, not with these sort of, you know, great collaborations. And- yeah. Um, and the, the cinematography. Let's let's talk a little bit about the look of the film. Um, what was those initial discussions about how you would shoot it, how wide, uh, what kind of grip gear you were using, you know, yeah. lens choices, color palettes, that those kinds of things. Yeah, we we definitely felt that we wanted it to be uh, colorful in a way we hadn't embraced. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of we define it as being more American, although that just is simply <laughs> a term that made sense to us, like yeah. me and Matthias, like. All American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just uh, there's something in the contrast and the grain and the color and like we were just trying to embrace this sort of pop but also with texture, mm. um, you know, and James would say, you know, we need to feel the spit and sawdust in the, in the, in the sportatorium, you know, mm. like it's got to be a bit dirty too. It can't all be clean and shiny because that world was not clean and shiny. Um, and so we just tried to find a system in shooting it that was that, um, we really didn't talk too much about like a big picture, like it's going to be mostly dolly or mostly static or anything Mm -hmm. like that. We really like to just embrace the usage of the camera, whatever's best for the moment. Mm. Um, but it was often about what we didn't want to do sometimes. Okay, interesting. Um, so I can't really remember an example of what that means right now. But, <laughs> but Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to go handheld at a certain moment or you, you, yeah. don't, you don't want to be overly or we don't want it to be co- over- constrained. Yeah, we don't want it to be an overly handheld movie. We don't want it yeah. to be an overly static movie. Yeah, you know, sure. So we knew we didn't want it to be. We, so, we, we didn't want it to be too stylized in any way 
Um, so, and, and in some ways we were sort of cutting, like pulling back on some of our natural instincts, which was fun to do. Mm. Like, I think shooting the opening in black and white was a decision that where, and it's funny, there's a lot of films did that this year. Mm. And it's a decision that I'm, I would not normally make. Mm. I'm sort of a purist in approach. I'm like one approach, the whole movie. Yeah. And so Matthias and I were like, it should be black and white in the opening because it feels right. But are we really going to do that? Mm. Like it wasn't really our style. Um, but we just embraced it because it did feel right. It mm. felt right to show the obvious difference between times. Also what you're used to seeing in wrestling. You know, you're used to seeing those matches in black and white. Yeah. And it was just fun to lean into that. And I think, um, yeah, I think effective. But I was, I was sort of, it was sort of amazing to see how many films, you know, like start watching movies this year. Yeah. And it's like, how many films did it? Yeah. It's funny how you sort of end up on these, these, these things which, you know, randomly happen out of the ether and no one's planned them. And then there's like, there's a couple yeah. that sort of come at the same time. It's like everyone's like sort of happens to have jumped on the same thought form and just yeah. caught a whiff yeah, of yeah. it in, in the, yeah. in the ether. No, I, I, I liked, um, I liked the way it was shot because, you know, some, sometimes the, the camera can, can be too invasive. You can be so aware of the camera that it's hard to let the, you know, the acting and the story sort of do its work. And, and I liked how you, you covered everything because it was just this sort of, you know, you, you're never, I was never aware of the camera, but I was also aware that I was getting to see all the locations. I was getting to see the sets. Uh, I wasn't sort of being like moved away from all those nice details um, which which I think really works because it brings the era to life and and you know that, that's that's a really nice part of the film as well is sort of going back in in time a little bit. Yeah, thanks. That's good. I, I, yeah, I I definitely am someone who believes in both having a very strong visual presence and a certain amount of sort of style and aesthetic, but never at the expense of the acting. Mm. So I always want to put the performance first and the camera just supports that. Um, so it should never get in the way. Um, and in terms of, yeah, like enjoying the time and place, it's it's funny. Like, you know when people ask, like if you could go back in time, where would you yeah. go? Like, I guess, you know, one of my few answers, top three answers is the Sportatorium in 1983. Wow. You know, it's... Um, I think anything in the 80s for me would be like, just the the dream it's such an incredible era yeah yeah it's it's uh and it felt like that it felt like we recreated it i mean it felt like we were there oh yeah you did yeah yeah and um it was just there wasn't like it, it's sort of what you're saying about local wrestling now like it, it's wrestling is so shiny and bright and mm. distant now that back then it was so important to the community mm and it was a place where people really relied on it as an outlet for just entertainment or, you know, just getting to have a drink and yell a bit. You know, it was really um, a communal experience and it was just sort of unrefined. And, you know, they said there was no air in there. So it was like in the summer, it was just like over 100 degrees. You know, it's just oh, like... yeah. And those, and it's filled with cigarette smoke, just nasty, yeah. <laughs> you know, just things like we don't experience anymore. And I love yeah. that. I love those details that are kind of lost now. You know, it's all, everything's a bit cleaned up now, you know, yeah. in terms of like performance spaces and stuff. Yeah. And, and those nuances are, 
are beautiful. And um, I mean, I don't want to go sit in a hundred degree cigarette smoke and watch no, wrestling. No. <laughs> so uh, I'm also glad, but um, but it's of a place in time and to experience it and recreate it is, is, is great. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. Was it was it important to you from the word go to kind of um, represent the uh, the wrestling world in in such a such a positive way? Because I th- I've I've struggled to sort of understand how how it works with wrestling in terms of who's going to be champion, um, who's popular, like, like how how the system works. You know, working hard. It's it's sometimes hard to relate from the outside, and, you, and you've done such an incredible job of creating this. You know, very clearly explained narrative of of how the system works and how it's kind of run in in the background, and you know how these these wrestlers aren't just sort of pawns in in a kind of made up narrative. They're actually trying to build their careers you know in, in this in this very difficult system yeah i i get really uh i get really touchy when people say wrestling's fake yeah yeah <laughs> you know I get, but this is the first time i've ever heard it explained yeah um because it's like saying anything's fake it's mm. like saying well it's like i don't watch movies because they're fake yeah you know it's it's uh i i really i find the comparing it to acting is is helpful i think i kind of made a comparison that um you know two actors go on stage to a play they have a role they have the writing they have they know their lines um but they go out and it's not just going out and executing there has to be something in their performance that makes the audience respond Mm. whether it's make the audience love them, make the audience cry, make mm. the audience like pull their hair out because they hate them. Yeah. The actor's job is to make the audience feel something. And a great actor, the, the difference between an actor and a great actor is beyond the performance of the words. And like, it's because that's all laid out, right? The way a match is laid out, they have to give something that you can't always put into words to make yeah. the audience feel. And a wrestler is the same. Like, you can have the most technically gifted wrestler, but if they don't make the audience feel anything, it's pointless. Mm. Not pointless, but it's they're not going to get very far. Yeah. And so it's about selling tickets and telling stories. And um, people, you know, if if your job as a, as, as a wrestler on the day is to go out and lose a match, but break the audience's heart because they wanted you to win so badly, yeah. then you're going to move up. You know, yeah. you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be recognized for your talent because you have to make the audience feel that and you have to do something incredibly physical in the right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, go, coming to understand that was was really amazing and it, and it was important to try and show that. But it's, you know, it's hard to it's hard to articulate that yeah. in, in, the, in the story. Were, were, those, were those conversations part of your discussions with Zach? Because, I mean, his, his character is kind of heartbreaking in a way because he... he his, he has to play like a, a thankless task in a way of this guy that isn't 
as maybe charismatic as some of his brothers um he's a little bit more more quiet at times which you know a movie star again it's a it's a brave thing for him to do um but also it makes you know brilliant performance was that part of those conversations from from the word go when you sort of started developing with him no i don't think we ever talked about it really no amazing yeah, yeah. um i don't as a director i don't like to talk about anything that the actor doesn't want to talk about. Like the script is so worked on, it's mm. so developed, it's so clear sure. that I give it to them and whatever they bring up, I'll talk about. But if they don't bring it up, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to put ideas in their heads. Like, yeah. And every actor is different. Every actor likes to approach it in a different way. And so I like to sort of be there for whatever that actor needs. So, you, so and, you're doing like a huge amount of work in the subtext at the script level. I think so. Really? Yeah. I think so. But then also it might not be helpful for an actor to think about something like that. Mm. Right? Because actually their approach might just be to be present in the moment and listen to the person they're sitting across from and not think about anything beyond that, which yeah. for Kevin is really good. You know, and that was often like the direction I would give. Yeah. Just yeah. be there. Listen. Yeah. Like it's that simple, especially when cuz they're not being emotionally articulate. They're not being intellectual um and you don't want to put overthinking into a you know a a a real life person that was very focused on that one thing yeah yeah Yeah. and and just and i think overthinking i i just try to eliminate overthinking from everything you know as sure uh you know i was never a performer but i was an athlete growing up and Mm. and once you start to overthink as an athlete it all falls apart and the same thing for performance so i just I had a great, one of my, f- the first short film I ever made, I had this amazing uh, experience with this great actor named Paul Sparks. And um, it was like my first ever real actor meeting. And we sat down and I like had all this backstory for his character. Yeah. It didn't apply to the film. I was just like starting to talk all about it. And he just stopped me. Yeah. He goes, none of this is helpful. it's like i don't need to hear any of this like stop talking i was like thank you it's like the best advice i could get sure (laughs) so 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 you you would would it be fair to say that because of this approach you're you're not so into over rehearsing the lines in advance with the actors yeah absolutely so i don't like to rehearse okay you don't like to rehearse okay So, so um Let's talk about the stuff that you maybe did have to rehearse, such as the the wrestling and the building up those that side of the characters. Like, yeah. how, how how was how much of a challenge was that to yeah. to get them all into wrestling sort of shape and, I mean, and shooting that? Yeah, I mean, I, I always rehearse on the day, but never rehearsed before. So it's always like fresh. We, you know, clear the set in the morning. We rehearse till it's ready. You know, so we work it, but only there, and then when it's ready to go, we shoot. So, but with the wrestling, obviously, it took more took more time, took more choreography. We didn't have a ton of time. We only had two weeks to rehearse all the wrestling. Mm. We didn't even get through all of it in the preparation um, because we also were teaching them just how to wrestle, never Mm. mind the choreography. Yeah, and and Uh, not hurt themselves, obviously, which is is probably quite a difficult thing. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, it was... Everyone trained individually uh, with Chavo in the months ahead, if they could. Like, they did, you know... I think Zach did six sessions. Jeremy did three. I think Harris did a couple. Mm. You know, everyone sort of got with him when they could if they were in LA or close by. And then other than that, we went to, when we were in prep in in Louisiana, we had like a two-week boot camp where everyone came in and, you know, we spent a bit of time on each match. Um, 
you know because they all they all have their narratives as well like not not just the story of who's going to win etc but who does what move yeah uh, how it all starts so yeah. so it is it needs it needs um blocking out i suppose in, yeah in, in quite serious detail yeah and then once they sort of generally got the hang of wrestling then it sort of became like anything it's like we could make changes we could mm. you know adjust based on camera adjust based on the actor whatever it was um but they just had to get that foundation there and have at least some mostly choreographed sections which we had were there were there any moments in the shoot that were particularly difficult for you i mean obviously all of it <laughs> and none of it but but i mean any any key sequences that I mean, it could be the wrestling, it could be a drama sequence. Is it was anything that you, you felt was like a, really difficult to get your head around or you had to find some outside-the-box solutions? Um, yeah, I mean, constantly. It's, it's sort of hard with, it's sort of hard to remember because every, every single day was. I mean, this shoot was so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't enough time, really. Like we only had thirty-five days mm. um, with wrestling sequences. Like that's like thirty-five days to shoot this movie without wrestling would be a challenge, you know. Mm. Um, so it was really just like how to constantly be sort of keeping up, thinking of ways to, you know, get everything in. Um, I think the days that would kind of get away from us and the hardest were a couple of the wrestling days where mm. um, there was just so much match to cover um, and you'd, ru- you'd be limited in how many times you can run it, but also you'd need to run it over and over again. Yeah. And it was physically grueling, so we'd need to rest in between. Yeah. You know, you could, so it was just that, uh, yeah, and then there's hundreds of people there, so like the pressure yep. is mounting, you know, it's like yeah. how do you keep the energy up for yeah. wrestling yeah. for eight hours, so yeah. Yeah, and I, I suppose, you, you know, you, you didn't you didn't sort of um, cheat or, you know, use any sort of quick cuts to get around and stuff, no. but the, you know, the way that you chose to shot um, you know, shoot all of the the wrestling sequences. You you have to piece together, and clearly, you know, you can see everything that's happening. So there is no there's no quick fix, which it, which is which is really satisfying when you're watching it because it's not just sort of you know bits of arms flailing around. You, you're seeing like every every kind of move. But I imagine it's really difficult. Yeah, it is. It, it, there was no like, okay, well, we'll get these two moves, and then we'll cut, and then we'll get these two moves, and then yeah. we'll cut. It's like, no, we need to get that whole two minute section. Yeah, so. Mm. So um so after the shoot how was the um how was the post production sort of process like do you like to jump in the edit do you like to leave the editor for a while um studio notes that kind of thing um on this i think i took like a it was we finished a couple of weeks before christmas so i think i took a couple of weeks off and then there was a couple of weeks for christmas so it was about a month before i got back into the room hmm. um i never watch I never really watch a cut, like a editor's cut, because I'd rather just sort of build it up from the beginning. So, yeah, we just start at the beginning, start building it together. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm, I mean, I'm there for the entire edit. I don't, yeah. I don't sort of step out of the room really. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, yeah, it's tiny detail by tiny detail. Yeah, over the course of the year. <laughs> yeah, um, and then you know we we had a you know uh again tessa 
will come in and um so did she come in before a24 had their notes yeah yeah well, like she would have come in first and then yeah and then rose and noah from a24 but it was a really small group you know it was like mm. one of the amazing things about making this film was there there wasn't like studio notes coming down from people we didn't know yeah you know there was none of that it was it was just a small group of people in a room who completely believe in this movie and understood what it was trying mm. to make it the best version of of what it could be yeah, I like that approach. I, I I kind of like that when I'm doing it. I like to sort of sit in, not necessarily for like the whole assembly, but at least to watch all of the footage and go through, you know, what you like because, you know, there, there is things that you've been very specific about, mm. and you're you're kind of you know it's, it's tone building and it's it's you know which kinds of moments in the acting that you're you're favoring and it's you know maybe if you have a shorthand with your editor then those um, those questions. Um, uh, quicker yeah but um, i think it's a great approach to you know get that first one where you're you're really you know keeping your hawk eyes on on what yeah. you've shot because you, you've lived through like 35 days of yeah you know <laughs> every single moment of it so you know it you know it very well yeah. um and um, was there any pickup days required for uh you know after you'd after you'd either finished the film or or gone through the editing you'd you'd, you'd got everything you needed no yeah we didn't we didn't pick That's up great. anything i think I don't think there was an option to pick up. But <laughs> we, yeah. we didn't. No, it was fine. Was there, was there anything in this film, particularly, that you would have gone back and done slightly different or approached differently? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, sometimes the process is the process. Yeah, it is the process. I mean, my wife and I had a baby in the same year. Oh, I would wow. highly recommend not doing that. <laughs> Having a baby and making a movie in the same year is yeah. really not a smart thing. The two thing to most sleep-depriving yeah. things you can possibly do. Yeah. So uh, you know, but you can't change timing of either. <laughs> so, That's true. You know, you got to roll with it. Yeah. Um, cool. So I mean, let's let's go back to your your early beginnings and how you got into the industry because I mean, this sure. is this, you know you've got A-list actors, you've got uh, a very well-received film, so you, you've got, you've got to a certain point in your career. Um, but there's tons of filmmakers out there that are struggling to, maybe they're doing their first short, maybe they're battling to get the first feature film made. Um, so, so you, you kind of started in shorts, uh, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and was this at the same time as you were working in the casting world and yeah, so that was like your sort of parallel career type thing? Yeah. So I went, um, I transferred into NYU. Mm -hmm. Um, I got into the film school there. And went into undergrad uh, about halfway through college. So I, I had about two and a half years there. And met a couple of guys who I became business partners with. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, went into NYU with the same mentality. We met and really, we, we both had sort of grown up in New York and... Um, had you all liked films? Like, was that was it always like I want to make films? Like, as a yeah, but you know, for me, it was hard to say that. Mm. It was hard to say. Like, I didn't come from a world of the arts, and it was hard to say out loud that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah. So it took me a while, but when I finally did, I decided to apply to NYU, and and even when I was there, I thought I, I would be. I didn't think I'd be a director. I thought I'd be a cinematographer. Yeah. So I started by shooting people's films. So. And then with this company, we, we had the same goal of like, okay, well, let's go to NYU. Let's find as many talented people as we can and really build from the ground up making films together. Mm. And we did that and we started making shorts. And I started producing just out of necessity because yeah. I was quite organized. 
um, problem solving mentality. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I could, I could solve a lot of problems, and and you know, I was you know, qu- yeah, really organized, and um, and so I don't know. We just jumped in, did it, and and we we were really good at making stuff really cheaply. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made a short film called Buy It Now that I shot. And my partner Antonio Campos, he wrote and directed it, and um, we made it for like under a thousand dollars. Yeah. And everyone at the time, this was two thousand four. Everyone at NYU was still making like eighty thousand dollars short films, right. fifty thousand yeah. dollars short films. Ludicrous you know? money. Yeah, it was ridiculous, and and we just didn't have access to that sort of mm. thing. So we were we were just doing it as cheaply as we could. And by it now, um, we shot over the summer, and we. <laughs> He sent it to every single festival from, you know, the Philadelphia Short Film Festival to Sundance. Yeah. He sent it to 52 festivals and got rejected from every single one. <laughs> and then, it's almost one for every day, the, every week of the year. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was like, <laughs> it was crazy. And, um, you know, back when you had to make DVDs and ship them out and you get you got rejection letters in the mail. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, and, That's and a lot of bad mails to receive. It was, Jesus. it was. And, yeah. and it was kind of became a joke after a while. Yeah. And then in... We were shooting a, f- a short film in upstate New York and we got a phone call in like... I guess it was March. It was like the dead of winter after the six months of rejection letters yeah. that we had gotten to Cannes. Wow. And so we went to the Cine Foundation, which is the student film program at Cannes. Mm. And we went out there for that and watched, you know, there was like 30 films. It was three days of programming or it was like 10 films a day for three days. And they were just, we were blown away. I mean, was, this was like the highest level we'd ever seen. International yeah. films, like filmmakers from making films from places like we'd never even thought of going. You know, it was just, it was extraordinary. But big budgets, everything on film. And then we get to our film at the end, which was like shot on video, yeah. had never projected it. Didn't even know that things looked different when you projected them. The video transfer was terrible. Yeah. You know, um, in the climactic scene, I didn't know uh, about like, t- you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Where, where it's like uh, cropped on the TV, but when it's projected, there's like extra space yeah, on either yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. And so there's yeah. a boom in shot that we didn't know was there. <laughs> and I don't mean just the end of a boom. I mean like full, full blown, full boom. Um, Classic. Yeah. And, and so we thought like, wow, what have we done? And then we ended up going to the uh, the awards later that night, thinking that we had just like... Blown it. Blown it. Yeah. And... They're like with the, it was so competitive this year. We had two, you know two 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 joint films for third, two joint films for second, you know, and they went through them. And we're like, oh, okay, and then it's like, and the winners buy it now. Wow! And it was what just a moment. That must have been an incredible moment. moment. And from there, we could kind of start our company and like, yeah, you know. But then we, yeah. Anyway, we went on to make a bunch of shorts, um, and yeah, and then I finally. Yeah, started directing after a few years of of shooting and producing. And and how did that leap to Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene? Should I get that right? So we so we were <laughs> so we we made up. So a part of winning the Cine Foundation was that we got to come back to Cannes. Um, oh, the labs with the feature. That? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So so we went to Cannes with After School, which was Antonio's first feature. Um, and while we were shooting that, 
you know, because we, we started this company, Borderline Films, with the with the goal that we would all um, make first features for low budget. We'd support each other to make mm-hmm. first features for low budget, uh, where we had full control as the writer director, right. and we would um, keep it as cheap as possible so that we would have as much control as possible. So while we were making After School, I started thinking about what I was interested in. And I, uh, I, I was reading Helter Skelter and thinking about cults mm-hmm. um, and sort of got the idea from Martha from, from that. And uh, I wrote the script. And then after we were got, you know, came out with After School, we started to, you know, be able to have meetings and sort of get together some financing for, for Martha. So, so, I mean, was this can... Um, this can sort of springboard quite instrumental in being able to put together that first feature film for you, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It really allowed us because we were able to go and raise some money and say, look, this money might not make this might, this film might not make any money, but you'll be able to come to Cannes with us. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big, that's a big incentive. (laughs) Yeah. And we made it, you know, we made after school for $225,000. Yeah. It's a great budget. Yeah. And shot on film. So it was like, uh, yeah, it was just, um, we were able to get everyone we went to NYU with, everyone, it was everyone's first feature. So it was like, you know, no one got paid, everyone just chipped in together. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think it was about Buy It Now that set you aside? Um, I mean, w- were you working through, did you have that same process of like working super extensively on the script? Uh, or did you just think it was a, it was a, just a great idea that was well executed? Because I mean, it's nice that you've made something that's that's, you know, basically low budget and you've gone to Cannes and had a massive success story. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that was Antonio's film and I was the cinematographer and yeah. I helped him produce it. But, but, um, I think it just, I think it was different, you know, and it also was about the jury. Like Chantal Ackerman was the head of the jury. Mm. And so it was her also responding to this thing that just didn't look like anything else and felt experimental and felt different. And yeah, you know, so it's also about the, the it's with so many films, uh, you know, their success is based on like who's sitting in the jury at a festival. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. Like, um, and so it's also a bit of luck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's the same film. And if whoever it was on the can committee didn't invite it, it would have never been seen. Mm. But I like the fact that you had this kind of springboard, like your own version of the Brat Pack as well. Yeah. Because um, I mean that that sounds like a great way for ideas to kind of feed into each other and bounce off each other, and you know it seems like that was kind of quite quite useful as a sort of an early starting board as well. But. It was, it was, it was um, having having that community was really important. Having like minded, uh, excited, um, you know, filmmakers all together in it together was a very beautiful thing, mm. and. Uh, Filmmaking can be a very lonely process, despite how you're never alone doing it. Um, But at the end of the day, as the director, the choices are yours to make, and no one can help you make them. I mean, people can help you make them, but no one can make them for you. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, having having that support and like you know energy to feed off, and also just to learn. Like you know, in shooting by it now there was a couple of moments where I realized like, oh, I'm doing this shot, but actually 
what I'm interested in is the creation of the image that is not photographic. It's mm -hmm. the creation of the image of what I'm interested in is directing. Yeah. It's a different creation of the image rather than focused on the picture. Yeah. And that was an, the thing that came to me from, from shooting. And then as a director, I also got to learn by producing Antonio's work because I get to watch him do what he did. Mm. And so stand behind him and watch. And so I learned through that process. So it was also like years doing things that were not necessarily what I wanted to be mm. doing ultimately, but it was all feeding into... A broader knowledge. Yeah. And the same with yeah. casting. Like I was so, while doing all that, I was working in casting and I would mm. see lots in, of actors. Yeah. Actors like sitting in that room, that casting room in New York and seeing all these young actors coming in who couldn't get jobs mm. and thinking, God, these kids are so talented. Like if I make films, I'm going to put them in things or I'm going to always look for people to give them their first role, mm. which I've continued to do. Or, you know, working for a director, I worked for some really famous directors in that time, and I'd sit in the room and just be appalled mm. by the way they talked to actors. Yeah. And so I learned so much of what not to do as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, was able to, yeah, make a lot of relationships in that room. And like, you know, Martha, the cast of Martha came out of, you know, it was first features for Lizzie Olsen, Julia Gardner, um, Chris Abbott, uh, you know, and, and they were all like people. Ludicrously yeah. famous actors. And, that, and they're all just like coming into that room, not yeah. getting cast and stuff. I mean, which, which seems outrageous now, if you, if you imagine like any of those not, yeah. not being cast. Was it, was it difficult for you to, because um, I mean, I, I came from cinematography and I had a sort mm. of similar realization that I preferred the story side and I had actually limits to, in my case anyway, like how much I could be a cinematographer. Oh yeah, my, I had huge limits. Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly in real life. Yeah. <laughs> but, but did... Do you, was the acting, because I mean, as a director, you have to really work with actors, which can be the most alienating part. You know, was this casting background enough to make that leap? Or did you really have to find your feet for that first feature and, you know, kind of working with actors as a director? Um, I learned a lot in the room working with actors and casting uh, mm. and certainly got me comfortable in a way because... Uh, there's also a lot in like the waiting room yeah. <laughs> in casting offices, you know, where people come in three times a week and suddenly you're friends, you know, cause you're sitting at the desk and, yeah. um, and so there was sort of an understanding of the culture of being an actor. And then like, um, but I think one of the biggest things was probably doing the Sundance lab. Mm. I got to do the Sundance lab for Martha. Um, I went to the writer's lab and then also, went to the director's lab and in the director's lab I got to workshop a few scenes with a few actors and um they it it was just a, a learning a lot like like there like for instance like we spent 3 days rehearsing but it was 3 days rehearsing three scenes mm. and so like I learned in that time like I don't like to rehearse because it's I'm ready to do it and I would re we'd rehearse it and the next day we'd go shoot it and it's like we lost everything we'd done because yeah. we were ready to shoot it. You know, so it was like little things like that. So, mm. um, yeah, and then I just sort of followed instinct. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing in Martha. Like, you know, so much of directing is just instinct, though. It's so mm. much about like... Understanding people. Understanding people, yeah. Mm. And, and, and understanding how to help bring the best out of them or put them in a situation where they feel good to do their best work. And, you know, sometimes I would just like 
draw, you know, it was really helpful to be comfortable saying, I don't know. I think that's like the biggest yeah. ad advice I give, right? As a director, yeah. you're this sort of this old image of like, director needs to know. And it's like, I, I became pretty comfortable pretty quickly. And I think that came from being in casting rooms and like, mm. and that actually can be quite reassuring to people when you say you don't know, if you do yeah. it in the right way. And and I would lean on on older actors who have more experience and I would just say, look, you have way more experience than me. Can you help me in this situation? And, um, you know, like I said before about Paul Sparks, you know, he, he gave me that great advice in rehearsals, but also in that short, we were shooting with Rosemary Duet and Paul Sparks and like they would, they would just, I wouldn't know how to do something and I'd ask them and they would like talk me through it yeah. because they had that experience. And it was, and so, it, and again, I think that led into like my early days in the company of like this much more communal sense of filmmaking. Mm. It's still yours at the end of the day, even if you don't know how to get there. You use, you know, you use the resources around you, whether it's a knowledgeable actor or, um, yeah, like any anyone they can to help you. It's still yours. And and lastly, was there any moment when you felt really stuck in your career, or, or maybe after Martha, yeah. Martha, and between that and sort of where you are now with? with oh Arthur? yeah, for sure, all the time. Feel stuck this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, so after Martha, I made Southcliffe. Mm -hmm. And then between South, Southcliffe came out in 2013. And then I shot The Nest five years later. So in those five years, it was like so many things fell through. Mm. Like I had a film about Janis Joplin that fell through. Yep. I was attached to a studio film for Little House on the Prairie that fell through. Um was attached to uh, yeah another project uh, two television things i mean there was just it was like a string of bad luck yeah and each one fell through in like extremely difficult circumstances mm. where we were really close to going yeah um and just had all these setbacks to the point where like i didn't know if like i'd ever be on set again you know and it's yeah um but then, you know, made a film and then had more setbacks after that film's made, you know, like yeah. release gets delayed. There's so many things. It's it's constant. Mm. It's it, it never really ends. And I think I think when you're starting out, I think when I was starting out, you think like, okay, you're going through the the hard times of starting out and you think you're going to get to this place where it's all there's easier. No hard times. <laughs> and there's never an easier. It's yeah. just different. It changes. Um but there's also like a joy in the early days that's quite pure mm. and it's not necessarily worse than what happens later when you are more established, you know, it's, yeah. they, the problems change and it's just different and um, yeah, but it's, it's never easy. No, it's not <laughs> so, sobering, but also hopeful because, it, yeah. you know, it, it is when, when you're in the moment when everything's going wrong and you haven't made a film in a, in a couple of years, it's it's pretty demoralizing for filmmakers. And yeah. we've had, you know, the strikes, we've had COVID. It, it's been a, it's been a tough ride. Um, it is. You know, even without that, that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, it's, it's hard at the best of times. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's also a great way to live. So yeah, and <laughs> not always a healthy way to live. Not always a, a healthy way, but it's, a, but it's an exciting way to live. Yeah. So I think it's always it's always worth the worth the try, worth the fight. Yeah, and when you're making great films like Iron Claw, it's uh, well worth it. Thank you. Uh, lovely chat. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So there we have it. What an amazing episode with Dom and Sean Durkin. The Iron Claw is out in cinemas now. Um, I hope you learned so much from that. What an episode. Another one. Another great one that Dom smashed out of the park. Well done, Dom. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So next week, Dom, who might we have? You sat down with some extraordinary people, but I think next week we will have... We have director Michelle Franker. Of? Memory. Ooh. Yeah, starring Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. So, I mean, that's a pretty exciting, uh, that's a pretty exciting guest. So there you go. Go out there and make your films. Make it happen. Believe in yourself. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to... It's your duty to throw the wrestler out the ring onto the chair and back down into the, the rest of us onto the audience yeah. <laughs> nice take care everyone see you next tuesday bye 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 bye